Aalto University Podcast. It's it's important to think about what's your motivation behind doing the practices. And 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 for me it's this radical well-being to use it for good purposes, not for egoistic purposes, but for the development of the community. The best thing today. A podcast by Aalto University psychologists. Hello and good day everyone. My name is Mona and I'm a psychology intern here at Aalto. I'm delighted to be here today with our amazing Merita Petaja to discuss the topic of mindfulness. And I'm glad you have also joined us to listen. So let's dive right into the topic and start with concepts. So Merita, what is mindfulness and what are we really talking about when we talk about it? Thank you for a good question. It all begins when we stop. That's the core. And as we all know, that's really, really difficult. Oh, yes. The core of mindfulness is really, let's say in a nutshell, it's about being completely in touch with the present moment. And that means within yourself, with your body, with your feelings, with your flow of thoughts, but also with the surroundings where you are. So it's quite a complex thing. And on the other hand, something really easy, something that children are able to do. Yeah, exactly. And it's very natural for children, but like it involves so much also inner experiences, but also being open to what's around you. So very complex and at the same time, quite simple. Yeah, it means being open to our experiences, open to what we see, for the facts, for the sounds, for things that we sense, but also open to how we experience things, open to our feelings. And of course, in this kind of a very stressful situation where we have been with corona and where we are, especially now with a war, we might find these kind of heavy stress reactions, anxiety, fear anger and we don't know what to do the feel with the feelings we try to repress them or or try to manage somehow our everyday life with with all these impulses feelings and experiences so i do think that mindful might be a helpful tool to handle and and really connect with yourself but especially connect with the everyday tasks with your body with the moment of now concentrating on what is there handy, what other people around you, coming back to your senses and your basic experiences. I really find that something that I have been focusing a bit on, mindfulness during these times, and I feel like for my part, it it actually helps me to continue to do my own things, continue life, avoid getting lost in the different thoughts of like fear and anxiety. The best thing today. For some people, mindfulness can be quite an essential part of life as it can represent a way of living kind of in itself. 
But there is also another approach to mindfulness as a kind of tool to navigate or recalibrate in life. Why is it, Merita, in your perspective, useful to familiarize oneself with mindfulness and practice it? I start with the research findings. There has been a lot of research done in the last 20 years about the benefits of mindfulness. And Emma Seppala, for example, has, let's say, put together some of the benefits. It just simply boosts your health. It boosts your happiness, social life. It boosts your self-control. It changes your brain, improves your productivity, makes you wiser and keeps you real. So what else do you need? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a very accomplished list and really a lot of different kind of things. Not only something that's kind of affecting uh, your life quality, but also some kind of uh, even like structural changes in the brain. So it's really quite amazing. Yes. Um, I was in a training uh, which was organized at Aalto University last week. It was a part of Otto Scharmer youth theory process. And we had a teacher there, Arawana Heyashi from Japan. And she gave a great example uh, how we many times are disconnected. Our bodies are disconnected from our heads. Like if you have a pen and a cork. So the cork is the head and the pen is the body. And they are disconnected. And especially now when we are listening to all the news and and it's like our heads are independently going there. And we need to try to connect the pen and the cork. It's like connecting the head to the body. And that is very, very helpful to our well-being. So I know that what Emma Seppala is saying about all the benefits of mindfulness, that it might sound like a bit too fancy. But if you think about this, that mindfulness helps you to put the pen on the cork, so connects your head with the body, with the, mm-hmm. with the experiences of the body and with the being of the body, then it's easier to understand why it is so meaningful. Oh yeah, I like the metaphor. So we've all heard about breathing as a way of anchoring yourself to the present moment. Um, what are the benefits of breathing? As this kind of anchor, and why is it so commonly engaged in mindfulness practice? It's commonly engaged because it's really something that we are always carrying with us, and we all have the same experience of breathing. So, concentrating on our breathing is something that easily is anchoring us to our bodies. Of course, it might feel very difficult if. If you are in the middle of this fight and flight reaction, for example, uh, then the breathing is shallow and uh, you might feel terrible by listening to the breathing. But still, there is research evidence that when people are in a very anxious, arousing situation, breathing exercises are, in fact, easier than the word exercises to start doing mindfulness. And they have a very big power in calming down the body because breathing exercises when you breathe out it is then activating your parasympathetic neurosystem 
which starts to calm our bodies automatically. I think it's really great a way for everyone to think as a starting point to put your attention back to your body through breathing because it's something we we do anyway. It's also something that you can do with more focus on. The best thing today. What about are there any alternatives in addition to breathing that you could apply as a part of your practice? Yes. Well, in mindfulness, one can separate the practices into formal practices and informal practices. And there are also like formal word practices like like meditation phrases or things that you can listen to. But then there are also formal body practices with Tai Chi or yoga, meditative dancing, meditative singing, these kind of things, for example formal body practices or like we were taught last Friday social presenting theater is using theater techniques where we are doing mindfulness together and that was something really inspiring and new mm-hmm. new for me so I really loved that but then there are also informal practices and many of them they have got to do with the things that we do usually normally so For example, being in a shower and really concentrating on the water, the feeling of the lovely water, cold water, warm water. I myself, one of my favorites is that when I'm in cottage surroundings, I like to wash dishes because it's something that when I do it, my family leaves me in peace. They don't want to do it with me. (laughs) So it's something that I do. I really concentrate on doing it and I enjoy the result that comes there and I find that a very calming little informal mindfulness practice Mm. and very tangible. I see what you mean. For me, I think cooking sometimes at the best, it can be something like that if you're not completely tired and you're just like super hungry. But uh, if you have your time, you can take your time just like chopping something and just like having nothing else going on. Oh, I love that example. And when this corona time started, I I decided to learn to be a, a vegan cook. So I had to learn a lot of new recipes. And in those moments when you learn, you don't do so, something on like automatically. The old fish soup, which I can do, you know, <laughs> without thinking of anything. But now I had to really learn and concentrate on cooking. And that's an excellent mindfulness practice. Mm. Oh, yes. And you get a great um, kind of uh, present at the end of a delicious meal as well. The best thing today, a podcast by all the university psychologists. The the feeling of flow. This is something that I find very interesting, and I've been thinking about it a bit. So is mindfulness same as the feeling of flow or is it something different i think that's a very interesting question and my answer is no it is not the same Mm -hmm. so in flow we are concentrating on one thing totally and it's a great experience when our our you know skills we have the time we have the silence we have the skill to do a task and at least it happens to many of us It happens to me that when I get to the flow state, 
I don't listen to the surroundings. I don't listen to my body. I can totally overrule my body body's needs mm. to be more hungry or, you know, to stay awake too late or whatever happens. So yeah. it's a different kind of a concentration. In mindfulness, when you're doing like a mindfulness practice, you do not lose the track that you are doing a practice. You stay awake. I see. So when you're in the feeling of flow, you, you kind of lose yourself in whatever you're doing. But in mindfulness, it's quite the opposite. Well, the core difference lies in being aware what you are doing. And flow is great. So the scientists at Alta University, they really need the flow to, you know, to make those big breakthroughs. So there oh, is yeah. no need to um, value it, mm -hmm. but it's just a very different experience. Mm -hmm. And and uh, if we tend to be persons that often have a very strong, long-lasting flow, then we need to, you know, put the bell ringing to yeah. <laughs> remember to eat mm -hmm. and sleep. So next, let's talk a bit about the connection of mindfulness to radical self-care. So Merita, could you briefly describe radical self-care first? Yes, radical self-care is a concept uh, that was created by Audrey Lorde. She's a feminist and civil rights activist. And, and um, in her view... We really need to take care of ourselves to be able to make change in the world. So it's not about bubble bath. It's not about our own personal comfort, but it's about taking care of ourselves so that we can stand on the parricades if needed. And we can try to make changes. We can participate in the communities for the values we want to work for. So it, it is an um concept that comes from activism and this is personally very important for me self-care means that we are checking on how we are doing one of my favorite oh, yeah. mindfulness practices is just asking myself how is my body doing what am i feeling now what am i thinking now so it's just like we, that we're checking with ourselves to make sure that our thoughts are based on facts that we do not have distorted perceptions, that we are not pushed by someone, for example. It's kind of the clarity of mind, but it's also working with our feelings. So, for example, in these moments when we all have fear and anxiety and worry and insecurity, then it's like giving time to the feelings and working through them so that we don't need to react, but we create this little moment between taking action, embrace the feeling, gather the message of the feeling. We have this little moment of stopping and then we can, let's say, proact instead of react. That sounds so important, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's easy because it, it, it's so naturally that it comes to kind of react to things that happen around you and it's really but i think it's also a skill that you you can learn i went to a conference with my one of my older colleagues sunny sarimaki a couple of years ago we went to america and it was about radical well-being and in this conference we got an excellent lecture 
of a person who um, described this radical self-care. So what she told us was that it's like finding a space in your own spirit to difficult experiences uh, and then noticing what you notice with kindness and curiosity. So, okay, this is really, you know, such a fear is coming now. So noticing the feeling with kindness and curiosity. And then when you work with it, you can really take action in those right moments. And when you see something happening, for example, in in your community, you are in a moment where you see that somebody is being treated badly or that there are some systemic um, things that should be corrected. Then it's like saying out what you see. The facts with the attitude that I can sit with this, can you? And that was such a powerful thought for me. So really not reacting, not shouting, yelling, you know, but really saying, I can sit with this, can you? Welcoming the thing that is around, that's already there, um, giving space to it. But making it visible for others, mm-hmm. having this enormous inner strength to make it visible for others. When talking about mindfulness, we are talking about more and more popularized concept in general, meaning there is also more room for understanding and applying it in different ways. So let's talk a moment about what mindfulness is not. Do you have any thoughts on this? What common misconceptions have you bumped into with, for example, how students can approach the topic? Well, one that came first to my mind, comes first to my mind is, oh, I already know about it. So it's something like, we all know that we need to eat vitamin D, but that's not enough. We need to take the pill. Exactly. (laughs) Taking the action. That's kind of uh, the the core of it, because mindfulness, it is a practice. It's called a practice because it's a practice every time. And even though you do more of it, it doesn't mean that it stops being a practice the next time you start. Exactly. And But if we go to more, like, let's say, um, um, deeper deeper topics, one of the misconceptions is that we can do practices and we can we can perform mindfulness it becomes a performance in our heads and so when we are like uh, leading mindfulness groups here at alto quite often we hear students starting to compare that this practice didn't go so well today as it went last week and understanding that it's never a question of how well the practice goes it's always the, the the whole idea is just to do the practice. And the practices are always different. The concentration, the feelings are different. And that's okay. That's part of the journey. So the only thing is just to practice, not to compare, not to compete. And the other, other uh, let's say, this is more like a danger of mindfulness is that if we have a quite a perfectionist mindset, then our perfectionism can start to use mindfulness in a way against us. So we start to think, 
I am a bad person because I didn't do the practices and oh, yeah. you should, you should, you should, all these kind of negative uh, thoughts, mm. you know, start to overrule us, then it's better to stop doing the practices and, and um, work with, a, let's say, other issues. Yeah, if it if it becomes one tasks with the others, then like uh, we are on a on the bad track there, I think. But quite soon, the practicing starts to become like a little river of lovely energy, and it starts to give yourself something, and then that makes the practicing easier. For example, I try to do, I, I don't do it every, every morning, but I this is my intention. I try to do it uh, in the mornings. And if I do my practices in the mornings, I get so much joy and calmness of doing the practice. I get this kind of loving energy and, and uh, yeah, it boosts my day. So it gives me, even though the practicing was not perfect, it was too short or, you know, whatever. I see what you mean. I like to think of it as a as like that I would be carrying a spa with myself. That's a lovely metaphor, the spa. Yeah. Thank I you. think I heard it from somewhere, but it really resonated <laughs> with my experience. Um yeah. So far we've covered some potential health and other benefits of mindfulness. So what about the caveats? Uh, are there any risks related to the practice of mindfulness? Oh, sure. For example, if a person has, um, let's say, dumped negative feelings for a long time and then uh, like starting to do mindfulness practices, it might happen that one starts to connect with the negative feelings and then there is like a drawback because the feelings that you suddenly realize are too intense. Mm -hmm. So then it's very good to just give yourself time and not to do the practices. So that's uh, something to think about. So feelings that have been pressed away, they come to the awareness and that's kind of stressful. But also there are, um, I, I wouldn't recommend doing mindfulness when one is starting to do mindfulness when one is really feeling bad or is depressed or having strong, strong anxiety, especially not doing alone. In these kind of experiences, it would be very good if there would be a therapist doing mm. the practices with a person. So that's one thing. Could you Could you tell a bit more about that? Well, for example, I know from experience that If the anxiety is very strong, then it's really difficult to do the practices. It's just impossible to concentrate and the practices and the failure in doing the practices make you feel even worse and, you know, lousy mm -hmm. because you can't do it. So when when the, let's say, fight and flight um, body reaction is very strongly on, it's difficult and I don't recommend trying to do these practices in those moments, but finding other ways of, of calming yourself. It's better to start the practices when when your life situation is pretty um, pretty okay. Mm. But of course, there might be people who have done them beforehand and now they 
coming to mind. So mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think, um, for example, in in different kind of mindfulness uh, workshops, for example, the usually the setup is that um, the practice starts with kind of a neutral situation. So then you kind of get familiar with 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 you and how to relate to what's going on in your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, your body. Yeah. And then applying that uh, later on in different kind of settings. Yes. By yourself, for example. Before coming to Alta University, I worked as a psychotherapist and I had a group for depressed people with others. We were holding groups with with others, but also I had clients who were suffering from severe depression and mindfulness was extremely helpful in those situations. I started Mm -hmm. using it already in the 90s when it was not so popular, but it just like from my experience Mm -hmm. and it became became something that the, the patients got very much about it. But at Aalto University, we are not talking about therapy. It's everyday support for us who are working here or studying here. Now I realize that I'm a little bit stuck with one thought that I would have liked to add to the former question. Yeah. Is it possible still to go back back there? So yeah. there, is one, there is one risk of doing mindfulness that I'd like to point out. And that is when we start to use mindfulness to perform better in our studies or in our work. And I also have even personal experience of this because when you start doing the practices, it really helps you to perform better. You Mm -hmm. can concentrate, you become quicker, you remember things better, you can focus really high. And there is also a big risk that you... Forget the other aspects. You focus, you start to use it for your personal performance. And that's not the idea Mm. of mindfulness. And it is even possible to get a burnout by using these techniques. And I see a lot of marketing, like, you know, getting better at work, start doing mindfulness, you become a better performer. Mm. But then that's like taking just one quarter of it and using it in a way for a wrong motivation. So the idea of mindfulness is really, it's, it's important to think about what's your motivation behind doing the practices. Oh, and, yeah. and, and for me, it's this radical mm. well-being to use it for good purposes, not for egoistic purposes, mm. but for the development of the community. Oh, yeah. I think this is so important, so interesting as well. Um, and I think it's something that that everyone should take a moment to consider what is the the point for for their case of uh, of engaging in mindfulness practices um and let's say that by doing mindfulness practices uh, it it can come as a side effect as you mentioned that uh, some tasks might feel somehow more manageable or you're like more more ready to engage with them but uh it's really good to stay aware of the the idea behind and the motivation so yeah very important 
The Best Thing Today, a podcast by all the university psychologists. Let's talk a bit about mindfulness at Aalto. There are, for example, these kind of regular guided mindfulness sessions, different kind of workshops held by Aalto study psychologists. So, Merita, what is your view on mindfulness at Aalto? Is it more, for example, a means to provide individuals some kind of tools for self-growth or or could it be seen with some kind of larger significance at Aalto community level? Definitely I see it in this larger perspective and we have had great opportunity this um, spring to have Otto Scharmer, professor from MIT visiting Aalto University And he has this new um, theory, which means leading from the future as it emerges. And he uses mindfulness practices. And the core of the new theory is open mind, open heart, open will. And he really has created a great uh, theoretical background for organizational change, where the core is in this being present. Uh, suspending judgment, connecting to wonder, connecting to future, entering the space, creating a space where you can see together. So connecting with other people using this social presenting theater, really seeing because we have a lot of blind spots and we make two quick assumptions, but looking what there is, what do we see? For example, now we are blinded For the climate issues, we don't see the problems because corona and the war situations are blinding us. We should really see what is happening in the world. And then there is another stream where I can see that we could have big developmental steps and contemplative pedagogy is something that is a growing stream in higher education where students are encouraged to become more aware of their internal world and connect their learning with their own values and sense of meaning. And like Esa Saarinen's lectures have been very much in this direction already for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we can do, as part of our studies, we can do free writing, which is called journaling. Uh, we can do mindful reading when we read and study for exams, for example, or do PhD study or other research. Mm. We can practice deep listening mm. and even in mathematical problem solving uh, contemplation can be used so there are lots and lots of possibilities indeed this sounds so inspiring and i really like the idea of connecting the things that you're engaging in courses to to your personal values and the meaning for yourself Also, like it means that not everything actually needs to be so so important or like interesting for you, but you can kind of also find your way as you go. Where is the direction where you want to go f- deeper and uh, learn more? Exactly. It would be interesting at this point to hear about how you see mindfulness in your own life, Merita. What is your current relationship with it and how has it changed over the years? 
To go back to the beginning, I started meditating when I was 16 years old, and that was not very clever. I was doing it alone, and that's something I wouldn't recommend to anyone. So that's a change in perspective that I have already. And and during my path, um, the big, let's say, giant leaps I have done when I have found groups, courses, and teachers. And life has been very generous to me. So I have had this wonderful opportunity to have mentors and guides on this journey. And I am so grateful for that. Nowadays, what it means to me is that I I already mentioned that I try to do some mindfulness practices during the morning. And just to note that I see that mindfulness is like a portal to meditation. So there are different views of this, but in my understanding, in mindfulness, you set your mind for meditation and then you can go on doing meditation practices. So I try to do it daily, at least once a day, sometimes more, uh, like sitting in the chair. But then there are those formal body practices. I sing in a chorus, Orthodox chants. I do Tai Chi and then my informal practices like this vegan cooking and washing dishes are something very Mm. helpful. But this is such a joy and peace and love giving practicing so but i still still don't see that it's a solution for all of us Mm. but for many of us for me from my side uh it's quite recent i have found sometimes running without music uh, and just focusing on my breathing and on my feet touching the ground as a way of kind of staying present in the moment and to to monitor what's going on in my mind and observing and it's really something quite different than than what how my running has looked before and with this i tend to even sometimes feel somehow more energized and find power for the harder uphills so it's it's quite interesting um, because intuitively, I, I could have thought of it like, oh, how, however more I focus on my pain and like my thoughts that I don't have energy, it would kind of make it harder. But ex- exactly the opposite has has happened sometimes. So I think that's a practice that could be recommended to everyone. And there can be no harm in doing that kind of mindfulness practice. So I think that's a wonderful example. It's been such an interesting discussion, so thank you Merita and our listeners. Hopefully you feel that mindfulness comes to you as more approachable after listening this episode and that we have managed to make it a bit more clear what it's all about. Likewise, we'd like to remind you that even the smallest moment of mindfulness makes a difference and it's a good idea to find a way that works best for you. We'd also like to remind you about the weekly mindfulness morning groups at Aalto, held currently by our amazing psychologist Sanni Saarimäki. 
These online sessions are free to join for all Aalto students and personnel every Monday morning in Finnish and Thursdays in English with no need for pre-registration. You can find the link to join in Into under the info of starting point of well-being. Also, we'd love to hear your thoughts, your wishes or indeed experiences of your mindfulness practicing. Um, you can give feedback on the podcast in our Instagram at Aalto Wellbeing or by email psychologist at aalto.fi if it works better for you. So thank you all. Have a nice day and hopefully we'll have you with us again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alto University Podcast.